So today, we have none other than country music star, Clint Black. Listen in as celebrities and amazing people share how they use their influence to change the world. Dive into their stories and discover their passion to keep living a legacy. Clint, you've been crushing it lately on your uh, Facebook and Twitter, and you just recently did a Facebook Live. Yeah, I've been, uh, I, you know, I was uh, having to do all this stuff myself, and I've got this broadcasting software, and so I'm trying to do all this and hit buttons, and I forget <laughs> to unmute my guitar and all that in the, the first week and work my way around it for the second. Uh, hopefully, third week's a charm, no technical difficulties, and uh, getting the balance. You know, you guys are natural broadcasters. Uh, this is second nature to you now, so you probably have a, a good sense of pacing, whereas I can do it in a concert. Yeah. But sitting here talking to a green dot, not the same. <laughs> it does, it requires a little variation, uh, for sure. Yeah. You know, I saw that you exceeded 500,000, I think, followers on Twitter. And then I jumped on Facebook and I think it said a million followers on Facebook. So especially if you're doing it yourself, you're doing all right. Yeah, it's uh, it's encouraging. You know, it's been 20 years since I had a major label promoting and distributing my music. So I've been kind of, uh, I've, I've stayed busy 80 cities a year, yeah. pretty much every year throughout all that. But all the, the 10 years with RCA and the, the hits I had have, have given me this, this career, this longevity, the ability to go out and tour that much and to have people tune in. And, and uh, it's not lost on me. I know I'm lucky. I'm lucky I came along in 89 and was able to, to build an audience and uh, be able to bring them along for this ride. Those, those fans who've been following me for years, they know back in 92 when, you know, all you could find on the internet were tumbleweeds. Uh, I had the black t uh, the blackboard on my website and I had an interaction with fans, kind of like what we have on Twitter. Okay. And I was doing that in 92 and it would be more than 10 years probably before all these social platforms came along and I let the blackboard go, had an even more direct interaction. I always felt isolated, you know, working in the bars for years. Right. Uh, I would do a set and I would get off stage and talk to everyone who was there. And then I became famous and there were too many to talk to after the show. It was a great problem to have, but I started to feel more and more isolated. And uh, and so that blackboard really made me feel like I was reconnecting. Yeah. You know, it's interesting when you talk about connection to your fans. It sounds like your whole career, you saw how important the fans are to keep to continue to grow and be relevant. Yeah. Well, you know, the, the, the first thing is, um, you know, real fans, they respect my privacy and they respect that I'm not there every minute of the day. Every time they post a question to me, uh, every now and then there's someone who doesn't understand why I didn't answer them, you know, yesterday. And as I, I'm not there doing it constantly. Uh, usually my uh, longtime followers will jump up in my defense and say, no, he, he does care. So you, you want that uh, mainly just to, to let people know you appreciate them. And I always recognize that, uh, uh, you know, not just, not just the fans, but uh, people that work in radio who supported me all the years. I, I used to make the rounds in my time off and try to go visit radio stations and, uh, 
you know, you can't have all this without everyone's support. And I wouldn't be able to have great musicians to record with if uh, people weren't buying the records. And so recognizing that and just the, the little things that we can do to say thanks and, you know, hey, I not only thanks, but I really do like my fans. That's great. Yeah. Now, there's a couple. There's a couple out there, as uh, as Gene Autry said. You know, I look out there and I see many many flowers in our garden. Of course, there are a couple of weeds. And, uh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no, but uh, I really do like them, and uh, I like having the interaction, knowing what they think, and letting them know what I think, and and uh, making them feel like uh, like I'm there and I care. That that matters to me. Yeah. Now you're a, I see that you're a Houston boy like me, as is your bride. So yep. what, what part of Houston are you from? We, uh, we lived in, uh, uh, when I was really little, we lived in South Houston, uh, down around Howard drive. And then, uh, we moved out, uh, I 10 at, uh, Bunker Hill and then to Antoine and then out, further west to Derry Ashford until we ended up in Katy out yeah. on the high road. So uh, once I became an adult and started playing all over town, I was everywhere. I was down yeah. in, up in Tomball and down in Clear Lake over in Surfside and Galveston and uh, um, up in Spring over. In, yeah, I mean, I was all over, all over town. So uh, I got to know the city really well. And then at one point, uh, you know, once I started touring, I would come back around and I wouldn't reckon it changed so much in the yeah. last 30 years. Uh, it it really time. has grown. Houston's grown. Uh, what is the fondest memory you have of Houston? Well, when as you started asking that, my mind went to, uh, you know, the, the bios, you know, camping out. And uh, yes, uh, the bios. That's a bios. <laughs> Not by you. Um, mm -hmm. You know, we're not talking about the, uh, the loneliest bayou in Louisiana, which is Bayou Self. <laughs> yeah, Bayou Self. Talking about Houston and Buffalo Bayou and Turkey uh, Creek and, uh, you know, camping out, going out to the Attucks Reservoir and camping out, going out there on the 4th of July and, um, uh, you know, just living kind of uh, uh, Huck Finn life, you know, fishing, you know, back before they called it noodling, we used to grab yeah. fish under the banks with our hands and uh we would uh when they would open the spillway don't try this kids i nearly drowned doing this uh jumping in when they'd open the the floodgates at the reservoir uh, with big rains we would jump in the bio and ride it all the way from like uh highway 6 1960 we'd ride uh -huh. it just free float in the bio all the way to like uh God, where would we go? Not as far as Gessner, yeah. uh, maybe Kirkwood, something like that. And and uh, and just crazy, you know, floating along, and there goes a snake, and and, uh, and maybe a gator. Just yeah, it's just stupid kids. And uh, I was thirteen. I got washed up under a tree that had fallen over, and everyone else made it up uh, onto the banks, but but me, and I was washed down uh, to the bottom and and being pushed into the tree and had to uh, shimmy up a limb uh, to get to the top. And when I made it to the top, uh, all my friends were screaming from the bank, snake, snake. And there was a big water moxie, very, very poisonous. 
uh, snake right there in my face, and I instantly let go and got washed back down to the bottom. Well, that would happen uh, two more times until the third time uh, I made it up, and uh, one of my friends, Mark Hogue, run out onto the tree and grabbed the snake by the tail and flung it off. And so when I came up for that third time, uh, they said it was okay. And I was able to climb up onto the trunk and, and get out of it. Uh, but uh, I might, there was something like maybe poison oak or something on the tree that my lungs and sinuses were on fire. And I was exhausted by that third time up. I, I knew if, that if it was do or die, I had to get out that time because the, yeah. Uh, the current was so strong. So stupid things like that. That's uh, my fondest memory. Is that weird? <laughs> my my junior high was Cedar Bio uh, Junior. Yeah. So we we would walk to the end of my street and we'd get in the bio. We had a we had our canoe in the in our backyard, and yeah, we had to watch out for gators and snakes. Oh yeah. And, uh, jumping off the trestles into the water and just having a blast. I used to catch a lot of snakes and. Uh, and then uh, when I was growing, I'd, I'd had enough of that. And uh, here in uh, Tennessee now, it's, it's back. I deal with snakes all the time at my house. We're out in the country, and, uh, you know, they'll end up in the garage or they'll end up on the roof and fall off, you know, uh, on top of you if you're not careful. And uh, so I'm constantly having to get rid of snakes here. Yeah. I've had enough of them. Your first album, you had five number one hits. So when it hit, it hit. But the the journey there, how long was that? It was overnight, two nights, yeah. really. It was uh, it was a long journey. You know, I uh, played the bars for many years and yeah. uh, uh, about ten years, just uh, just eking out a, a living and uh, never sure I was going about it the right way, but sure I was going to go about it. And, yeah. You know, I finally uh, managed to, uh, I met uh, Hayden Nicholas and he had a eight-track recorder in his garage and we started working on demos of songs I'd written and would eventually write songs together. And uh, the first song of mine we demoed was Nobody's Home and I and my goal was always to find a manager. So once I did that, things got going and it was still two years after that break to uh, until the uh, A Better Man was released so so even after I got my break and the record deal, I was still eking out a living in those bars around Houston. Okay. And uh, just that's how this idea for Killing Time came out. Hayden and I were talking about we were on our way to some $50 gig and uh, talking about how slowly the big wheels uh, in the music business turn. And, uh, and I said, well, I just I just hope it really gets turning soon because this killing time is killing me. <laughs> I was going to ask the backstory to that. So I'm glad you mentioned it. Yeah. We, uh, we looked at each other and we knew we had a, a, a song idea and, uh, and we would uh, write that one right away. Um, that was something that, that I always said. And I think, you know, I still hear people say it because it was a, I'm, what are you, I'm just killing time until I have to go to work or <laughs> right. Um, what are you doing over there? I'm, I'm just killing time right now. But uh, <laughs> you know, those, those things uh, are used for a reason. What was the smallest audience you played in front of? One, 
I uh, I was playing in a bar called the Balloon Club one night, and the bartender was there. And then uh, a woman came in, and uh, and you know there was uh, a lot of room in the in the place. Nice. She dragged her chair over. She was quite intoxicated, but managed to get a chair over right in front of me and sat down and uh, warbling all the way. And so now I'm just singing to her and, uh, and, and she gets up in between songs and, and, and manages over a long drawn out period to tell me that I had just kicked her in the gut. And I took that to be uh, euphemistically in, in song you yeah. know, killing me softly with his song type of thing. And, uh, and, but she said it as if she were holding it against me and sat back down and began to rummage through her purse looking for something I thought maybe a gun. And, uh, and so I spent the whole next song wondering what is she looking for and how mad at me is she? Yeah, where's this going? And, and this soft cedar top on this guitar is not going to stop a bullet. Yeah. Um, she seemed so angry at me that, that that ended up being all I could think about for the next song or two. Oh wow. Wow. And uh, that process of, of, of growth and everything, did you expect the five number one to have five songs hit oh, number sure, one. Sure, sure. Demanded it, really. <laughs> no, it. it, it uh, I believed in the songs, and uh, I knew I was with a, a, a strong record company. Uh, but you don't know things. You, no, you, you don't. really make, you may know. I know I'm going to make it. I know that's going to be a hit. But you don't know. You just want to know. And uh, once the first song became a hit. It was like, yes, I was right. But then you start hearing, you're seeing the stories, you know, this is uh, very rare for a debut single. And then the next one and the next one, the next one. And then, uh, you know, uh, before all five singles had been released, Better Man and Killing Time had become the number one and two single of the year. Right. And yeah. And then I thought, yes, I was right about that too. And yeah. uh, But then you read, well, the, that hadn't happened the last time that happened was with a single artist was 35 years prior with Hank Williams. Oh, and senior. Uh, yeah. Kalijah and your cheating heart, which I sang a million right. times in the box. So now I have that connection and historically and, and it starts, it, it really starts. I start to understand just how unlikely all this was. Yeah. And then when the fifth song goes to number one, um, and it wasn't in, uh, there were two charts, uh, Billboard and R&R &R back then. So number one on either chart was a number one. And so uh, uh, four went on Billboard and five went on R&R. &R. So uh, that qualified as five number ones. And uh, then, you know, you read the article where that has never happened before in any music genre in, in history. And, uh, and so it starts to become very apparent that this is uh that this just wasn't likely to happen and no matter how much i knew right those songs would be popular that uh, uh the 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 odds were against it all and then uh and then the talk became um well when's one not gonna go number one and that 
the little part of me wanted that conversation to be over. Right. Yes. Past that, and then I think the first song off the next album went to number two mm. on the national chart, and uh, and so it was still a hit, but it didn't hit that number one. Maybe it was the second song off that album, but one of those it, it happened, and then the conversation was over, and I wasn't actually wishing that conversation had been over. You know, I wanted to ask you a bunch of questions, right? Like, when was your big break? How did you get into music, and when did you decide you wanted to do it? But really. I grew up singing music because my older brother did. I grew up in Baytown, uh, lived in every part, got married. Next Wednesday will be our 20th anniversary. And I know you've got an amazing love story, uh, and you're married to a celebrity. I want to hear about that. I want to hear about how y'all met and how marriage has been, because you've been married since 91? Yeah, uh, 29 years this October. All right. Yeah, yeah. Uh yeah, I got lucky. I found the right person. I finally found Ms. Wright. Ms. Always Wright. Yeah. <laughs> I, uh, we met backstage at uh, one of my concerts at, in Houston, actually, my first big headline show at, uh, then uh, called The Summit. And uh, we had mutual friends who were playing matchmakers independent of each other, uh, people who knew both of us and uh, didn't really know each other. They, they somehow knew we should meet. Uh, so we met New Year's Eve at my concert and we were married 10 months and 20 days later. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, aside from meeting a fantastic woman uh, who is strikingly beautiful uh, inside and out, uh, I met someone who wanted as as much to devote herself to the marriage as I did. Yeah. So we we work hard to protect our marriage and uh, communicate well. When Roy Rogers found out we were getting married, he said, I'll give you one piece of advice. Don't ever go to bed angry. Now, I'm a psychology buff. So I, uh, as a student of human behavior and a songwriter, I, I just want to know why and why we do things and so I've read, you know, many books on psychology, and one of them, uh, uh, there was, uh, we're talking about that same thing in a more complicated way, which if you look at uh, emotions, uh, like drops of mercury on a table, you need to wipe them off right away, because the next one that comes along, they'll join, and right. with yeah. mercury, it becomes one blob, and you can't distinguish one issue from another, you'll end up with this big blob that you can never uh, divide back up. So you got to wipe the, the, the slate clean as you go so that you're able to talk about it intelligently. But on top of that, uh, one of the most useful things that I learned uh, from reading uh, those books was uh, that you can't tell someone what their intent was. You can only tell them how they made you feel. And their intentions are their own, and only they own those. And so you better not get into a debate on what those were. But if you assume the best of your spouse or your brother or your friend or your mom or dad, whoever it is, if you assume the best of intentions, you can let them know that something they did made you feel a certain way, and then they can correct you. Say, oh, I had gas, and that's all you saw on my face. I had gas. I was trying not to burp, you know, or... I uh, think I'm going to throw up and right. and then I looked at you and so uh, 
So, so if you go to someone and you say, you know, the other, the other, uh, last night or whatever, uh, at the party, you looked over at me when I said something and, and it really made me feel like I embarrassed you for instance. And then they can say, yeah, well, you did embarrass me. Or they can say, well, I had gas. But yeah. whatever the case, you're telling them not what they did, but how they made you feel. You looked over at me and I felt bad. And they can say, oh, I'm so sorry. I didn't mean that. And, and yeah. you can move past it. But if you let that stuff linger, then one day you just come back and say, you're a terrible person. I've always known it. <laughs> oh, wow. And so uh, communication you know, in the simplest terms, don't ever go to bed angry and don't tell someone what they did. Just tell them how they made you feel and give them a chance to correct the story. Yeah. See, that's great advice, Clint, about how to tell someone how it, how they made you feel. So in, it's it really doesn't – it's a good way to correct people without correcting them, right? If, if you're very careful about that with all your relationships, then it's hard for you to be wrong. Now, you can be mistaken, uh, but you can't be wrong. I was mistaken about your intentions, but I wasn't wrong about how that felt. Right. Ah. Uh -huh. Yeah. Yeah, because I felt this way. And not, not that you made me feel that way, but this is how I felt when it happened. Is that, is that your intention? Uh, and that's something we've, we've worked a lot on and, and a part of a group called Reengage, just working with marriages and working on our own and, you know, you build on it every day. Well, so, congratulations to you. You know, it's uh, it's it's a treasure, and if you can protect it from from everything in the outside world and protect it from yourselves, um, you know, you'll uh, you'll have something invaluable. Yes, my thought on your last point that hit me a while back was. The Lord says, what God's put together, let no man tear apart. And what I realized is the only man who could tear my marriage apart was me, right? Nobody's getting in the, in the house unless I open the door. And I think that's any husband of just love your wife and communicate. So the, the final question I had for you is, you know, who's been, who's been your greatest influence? Like influencer to you? Well, uh, you know, I think, you know, as a, as a kid, it was you know, my parents, my older brothers, I'm the youngest of four boys, and watching them uh, really taught me how to get away with doing the wrong thing and, and not getting caught. <laughs> and, uh, and then as I grew older and, uh, and wiser, then I less and less wanted to do the wrong thing. Um, I'd say my parents, aside from that, being a student of uh, philosophy and of, uh, you know, uh, the religious philosophies, of course, but, uh, uh, you know, the, the, the philosophers uh, through the ages, the, the songwriters I consider to be great philosophers encapsulating uh, big thoughts uh, into poetry. And, uh, and as a student of uh, all the songwriters, uh, I've learned a lot about myself and about love and about human behavior and, and what matters. And, uh, and so those things have, uh, and been a big influence. The, yes. the, the last thing that I would say, uh, would be, uh, uh, being my own songwriter because yeah. I've had to look inside so much in order to find feelings that inspire lyrics uh, that, uh, I know myself, 
I know, uh, I know my own behavior and I think I understand other people. And, uh, and so that's, that's kind of made me an even person. I think, um, yeah. where, uh, where, you know, maybe, uh, jumping to, jumping to conclusions too quickly, uh, angering too easily, all those things, uh, that can really get you in big trouble. Uh, I don't do as much. Mm-hmm. Now, Clint, the Thank latest projects, what are your latest projects? Tell us about them. Well, I'm, uh, I'm promoting a new album that comes out June 19th. It's called Out of Sane, and uh, it's uh, all new music, uh, all original songs except for one. I covered a, a Harry Nelson song Fred Neal wrote called Everybody's Talking, and I reinvented the song, but I think kept the spirit of the original uh, vocal metering uh, intact. Yeah. And uh, so it's a very good CD, according to me. And I encourage everyone to get it. And, uh, and then, uh, and so I'm out promoting all of that. And uh, uh, the new song, My Best Thinking, uh, the first uh, IG track off the record is America Still in Love with You. I made a video on that. And uh, one of my friends was a, a SEAL commander. And uh, known him for years, and uh, one of his uh, his best friend was killed in action, Kyle Milliken. And uh, when I was uh, making the video, I had a lot of uh, stock footage, historical footage that I was uh, pulling from to to create the video. And uh, and I called up my friend and I said, uh, I I really need someone to bring the badass to this video. Yeah. And uh, we both thought of Kyle. And so uh, he talked to uh, Aaron Kyle's uh, widow and asked if it was okay. And she sent along some photos and I picked one to put in the video and it's of Kyle uh, in uniform holding up an American flag comes in about two minutes into the video. So uh, I want to honor Kyle through these efforts to promote the music uh, by uh, driving traffic to the Kyle Milliken Foundation website, where you can get to it through Clint dot, clintblack.com. Uh, and I'm going to be making some announcements soon about other ways we're going to uh, work to help fund the Kyle Milliken Foundation, which was begun uh, by uh, Kyle's friends in the SEAL community to help Kyle's family, his wife and, and two kids. And... Uh, and once that was done, uh, she felt so much gratitude and realizing that uh, not all in that uh, military community are getting that kind of support. She shifted the focus of uh, the KMF to broaden it to Gold Star families and anyone else in the, in the uh, oh, my old timey cars here. I got to go. <laughs> anyone else in the uh, military community uh, who might be struggling, whether it's uh, with the loss of a family member or uh, one one uh, uh, former SEAL uh, had a terrible accident and was nearly electrocuted to death, and they helped his family while he recovered. If someone's uh, struggling uh, with through this COVID quarantine or uh, illness like that, it's it's uh, it's going for a real broad reach. So we want to help to fund that and honor Kyle Milliken um, and throughout this effort. So that's going to become one of the focal points of uh, everything I do here, here on. Great. Well, thank you for doing that. Well, that's, that's fantastic. That's 
Yeah, it's my privilege. It's it's a privilege, as as you guys probably know, doing what you do, uh, to get to meet some of these great Americans yeah. and their families uh, uh, by extension, who sacrifice so much and worry so much, and uh, it uh, makes us all feel good to do anything that uh, not only helps them but also reassures them that we we haven't forgotten about you through everything this country goes through. Uh, there's a very small percentage of us who give so much. Uh, the military, the first responders. I have many friends in law enforcement, and uh, we want to remember them and uh, honor them. And you can do that by going to clintblack.com and uh, clicking through to the Kyle Milliken Foundation page. And uh, uh, even if you only have a little to give, nickels and dimes add up to millions of dollars, and they, they will change lives. If there's ever an opportunity to do a Maverick Part 2, you know, I'm 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 voting for it because we love that movie. I was thrown off the boat, but I didn't drown. That's right. Well, I'm back. I'm ready. That's right. I'll be ready to cheat again. I'll I'll vote for you for part two any day. We we probably watched it a hundred times and we watch it again. It's great. That was so much fun. Yeah, they need to they need to make another one. Yeah. Thank you for your time. Thank you guys. Be with right. Thanks for listening. Join us next time for another amazing episode of Living a Legacy.